0: Philippians chapter 3, about halfway through verse 13, he says, Paul says, I focus on one thing. Every say one thing. Every, every say one thing. Everybody say one thing. Uh, forgetting the past. There's an amen there. Looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. This morning, uh, we are going to return to a theme that the Apostle Paul writes about often. We talked about it in the 1st and 2nd Thessalonians series. So here we go. I titled this this morning, Live as a Foreigner. I don't mean it in any slang sort of way. Uh, I mean it very literally. Not only are we, as believers, we are citizens of another place, but we are only here temporarily. This This is not our home. We're not taking up permanent residence here. Paul is challenging us to conduct ourselves as citizens of God's kingdom as opposed to citizens of this fallen world. Paul is not encouraging believers to assimilate into the culture of earth. I know some of you went really Star Trek right there, didn't you? (laughs) Assimilation. It's like the Borg, right? Nope, that's not the goal. Paul is not ignoring the challenges that that may cause as well. So we're going to go through all that. I just wanted, there's there's the summary of where we're going. Now, here we go. Hold on to your britches. Number one, hopefully you have a bulletin. Do you all have a bulletin? Two of you do? Good. I made 59 of them this week. Anyway, uh, number one, spiritual profiling. I thought, because there's all this, uh, this political baggage that comes with the word profiling, I thought, this is good because it's, it fits perfectly for, what, for what, what Paul's wanting to communicate to us. Spiritual profiling. In verse 27, chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven." Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose Fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Great text. Paul tends to repeat himself from one letter to the next, and so he says similar things. Uh, Coming from the previous text, what I taught on last week, whether we live or die, we must, we get to this text, we must conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ Jesus. Are you with me so far? We live, we die, whatever, we exist. The reason you and I as believers exist is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. So, as citizens of heaven, as children of the Most High God, we should fit a certain profile. <laughs> Good job, Shannon. As children of the Most High God, we should fit a certain profile. I like to tell this story because I'm proud of this story. Uh, When I was growing up, the four hidden children behaved in a respectable way, especially in public. We behaved partially because our parents told us that that is how headens behave. We belong to Don and Geraldine Hedden, and as Heddens, we do not embarrass headens, right? You don't embarrass I mean, I have their name, so why would I say anything to embarrass them? That makes no sense. We behaved well partially because we were proud of who our parents were, and we were proud to be a head, and headens behave a certain way, and I'm a headon, so I'm gonna behave. Does that make sense? It did whenever I was 13. It made perfect sense. But what a simple principle to adopt into our spiritual lives. Church. We don't behave and live moral, God glorifying lives just because of the Old Testament law. Are you with me? Some of you are having to process that. We don't live moral lives, God glorifying lives, just because of the Old Testament law. Neither do we live in fear of God's judgment and wrath. We don't live in fear of dying, and we don't live in fear of living. We very simply focus our attention and attitudes on living to honor our heavenly father just because God is who is our Father. <laughs> you can't hardly write a book on that because that would cover the the, the title. That's it. That's Christianity in a nutshell. How simple is that? We live to honor God because God the Father is our Father. We love Him, so we live to honor Him. Because we have purchased, because we have been purchased, because we've been transformed by the everlasting Father, We are prone, or at least we should be prone, as people who have died to ourselves and been reborn by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, we should be prone to think and to act more and more like our Heavenly Father. Follow me? When Paul hears about or sees the the believers from Philippi, he expects to recognize a certain spiritual Profile a certain behavior, behavior that honors and reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been hearing about how their faith has been growing, how their love for one another is growing. He's excited about coming and seeing them. And he says, I know that whenever I get there, I'm going to be able to see with my eyes or if I don't get to come, I only hear about what's going on there. I know that I'm gonna hear with my ears that your actions and attitudes are glorifying and honoring to God. Because you're believers, I expect you to fit a certain spiritual profile. There are two behaviors that Paul anticipates in this spiritual profile. You want to write this down. Do I need to go get pens from my office? I like the way you're looking at me. Two things. Standing, number one, is standing together with one spirit and one purpose. Standing together with one spirit and one purpose. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. Number two is fighting together for the faith. See, some of you have been thinking that fighting in church was biblical, but you have it all wrong, wrong perspective. Paul's going to straighten this out. Back to number one. Paul expects, he expects, he anticipates the church, the believers, to stand together with one spirit and one purpose. Now, you'll notice in this text, on the screen i think that there this is not a capital s spirit it's a lowercase spirit so he's not referring to one spirit the holy spirit he's talking about spirit in the sense of attitude or mental state are you with me it's kind of like having the spirit of joy during christmas no (laughs) like yeah i don't know paid the bills this week yeah. yeah, having a spirit of happiness, joy. It's a mental state. It's parallel, what he's saying here in, in one spirit and one purpose. He's, it's spirit and purpose are kind of parallel ideas. There is one attitude, one mindset, one motivation, one passion, one drive among the believers. Now, just take a second and think about that. Okay, I gave you four seconds, but some of you are still not thinking. Imagine if th- there's approximately 300 people that call Desert Heights Church their home church. But imagine if all 300 of those people, the 200 of us here, and the 100 people that uh, hopefully they're not Christmas shopping this morning, they were too sick to come. <laughs> They had some life-threatening something that kept them from coming. If 300 people had one focus, one mind, one attitude, and that was to passionately share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the, with, the, with the greater San Juan County area, can you imagine the impact we would have? It's incredible. There's one attitude, one mindset, one motivation, passion, drive among the believers. This is precisely why we say our purpose statement every Sunday morning. It is to keep us all on the same page, one spirit, one purpose. That is why Desert Heights as a church emphasizes studying the Bible together. We want to get everybody on the same page in the Bible this is why we come together every Sunday morning to worship God the Father together because we like worshiping in one spirit. This is why we have life groups is to get people all together, not just physically in a proximity, but to get them together in the way they think. This is why we make a point to promote, watch what watch this. This is why we make a point to promote what we agree on in Scripture, and minimize what we don't agree on. That may come as a revelation to some of you. We don't agree on everything here at Desert Heights. I always like it whenever people come for six months or a year, and then they walk up to me and they say, hey, did you know so-and-so? They don't believe like I do on this certain topic. And you've worshipped with them for the last year and enjoyed it. Is that gonna become a stumbling block now? No, that's ridiculous. I love the way you're looking at me right now. Cause some of you are like, oh, who is it that believes different? Oh, look around. They've got a big A on their chest, mark them. It's got 666 on their forehead. No. Desert Heights exists to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus that they might become fully devoted followers of Christ. We are not a social program. Good job. We are not a self-help club. We are unapologetically a church. And I say that with a lot of anger charged behind that because I, I get really frustrated whenever I'm around other entities that call themselves churches, but they have a whole different agenda. That's true. We are unapologetically a church. Specifically, we are the church of Jesus Christ Amen. that intends to make an eternal spiritual impact on those around us. Brent, are you saying that we intentionally exist to influence people outside of the church? Yes. Yes. But society wants church to exist as a social program that we call on when there's a tragedy. Otherwise, we want the church to be quiet. See why I say I'm angry whenever... We are unapologetically a church, the church of the living God. We don't sit in the corner to be quiet. We are like a city set on a hill that cannot be... (laughs) Oh, Lord Jesus, help us. (laughs) Hid is the word we're looking for. City on on a hill, it cannot be hid... Everybody's like, oh, wait, wait, what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? (laughs) He's calling on us. He didn't quote it. He didn't put it on the screen. What do we do? (laughs) A city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Oh, that was rough. Second thing that Paul's looking for in his church Paul expects the church to fight together for the faith. Look around you. You can look around you right now. It's a good time to look at your neighbor. Right, left, all those in front of you? Go ahead and look at those behind you. I'm kidding, don't that be rude. Paul expects you to fight together. These are your partners in faith, church. They're your partners. They are not your enemies. If someone in our church is failing, we help them along. Why is that a new idea? for some of us. If someone is doubting, we struggle to help them along. We share this battle together. You're thinking, well, Brent, what about all those other churches? You know, our competition. I, uh, I run into John Morgan at Pinion Hills every once in a while, and I like to tell him, you guys are our competition because. <laughs> like five times the size of our church, or six times, and he, I could always tell, whenever I tell him, you're our competition, he, he just doesn't know, he's not sure what to do with it, he's kind of like, are, are you being serious, or are you kidding, I mean, he's not the only person in Farmington that doesn't know how to take me, uh, <laughs> But I kind of like it, and you know, there is an undercurrent in pastors, I've talked about this before, of competition. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, listen carefully, when we set all of our egos aside, there are over 53,000 people in the greater Farmington area that need a church home. Did you get my number? There's over 53,000 people. So, You do the math. There's about 106-ish churches in the greater Farmington area. Every church that believes that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. I'm being very intentional about my words. Every church that believes that salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone, they they are our partners in this fight. But Brent, they don't believe like we do. <laughs> the person sitting next to you probably doesn't believe like you do. So get over your silly selves. If we believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, we are united. Read the book of Ephesians that through Christ, in Christ, he brings all things. He unites all things in Christ Jesus but I don't like those other churches. Well, then you're probably not going to be united with Christ Jesus. All of us who are... (laughs) Nobody else got it, George. We're, We're together. Those who believe in Christ Jesus are united into Christ Jesus. There is no need to diminish other churches who believe in Christ for salvation. The walls between Bible-believing churches need to come down. The world needs to see unity across Christianity. We are unified in Christ. Everything else is not worth fighting with each other over. It's not worth uh, presenting a divided church to the community. Because then they look at us and they're like, Christians can't even get on the same page, let, it be, let alone be united by one Savior. But Brent, we have to stand for what we believe. I see it on some of, some of our faces. It's like, what? We have to stand up for what we believe. Listen to me. Standing for what you believe is what every other person is doing as well. Doesn't make you unique to stand for what you believe. I always like to dig a little hole, get down in it, and then y'all are all like, uh oh, how's he gonna get himself out now? <laughs> Brent, we have to stand for what we believe. We have, this is good, we have scripture. We have God on our side. We are right. So use your imagination for a second. I'm gonna read this slowly for those of you that are not carpenters. (laughs) Just as a hammer is intended for construction, not destruction, we believers should not wield biblical morality as a weapon, Against one another, or against believers with the intentions of destroying lives. I love the silence. I don't get this at home, so I do it on Sunday morning. <sighs> I, I I just log jammed some of your brains, huh? Brent, I grew up in a church where, where we used the Bible to tell everybody how pathetic we are. And then, then we come to church and we're, we're on, it's our job to police the, our fellow brothers. We're there to look for all of the problems. We're, we're looking for a speck in somebody's eye so we can go take it out. A lot of us grew up in churches like that. Let's find the fault in everybody else because we want them to be like Christ and it's my job to make you like Christ. And so if you come to my church, I have to come and tell you, you're not living exactly right. You're being a bad person. You're living in sin. Come on, you gotta come pray and repent. We use the Bible. We use biblical morality to wield it as a weapon to hurt people. Listen carefully. I, really, I got this hole pretty deep now, don't I? I like the way you're looking at me. Listen, theology, Christianity is never about protecting what you believe. Theology, Christianity, necessarily must lead you to demonstrate Christ's likeness in your own life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This may be a two-bottle morning. (laughs) Before we go wielding the word of God to whack people in the head... We need to apply the word of God to our own lives. Let's master biblical morality in our own lives. And then the light will shine instead of the sword be swung. Are you with me? Too many church-going people correcting everybody else and not using the word of God in their own lives morality is an attitude and conduct before god almighty it is between you and god morality is first about morality is first about your relationship with god not about you measuring others relationship with god so a little bit of a tangent i walked watched news for like 30 seconds this week and i'm just I just am frustrated with all of the, the appealing to morality in the news and, and politics right now. And, and, you know, everybody's got a log in their own eye. Yet we're swinging at everybody else like, oh, you're wrong. Are you serious? Anyway, I know I'm being ambiguous intentionally. Christians don't stand for what they believe. We live what we believe. Can, can you write that down? you can write that down. We do not stand for what we believe. Listen, we have talked enough. We have written enough books. We've passed all the laws. We've tried our best. At some point, we have to stop standing for what we believe and start living in the fullness of Christ Jesus because that is attractive to the world. Let's not go poking around in other people's eyes before we take out, take care of what uh, may be in our own eye. You and I must search our own hearts. We must search our own hearts first. Are we of one spirit and purpose in the body of Christ? Are we fighting together in the body of Christ or are we fighting with each other? Because if you have an agenda other than promoting the gospel and making disciples, or if you're fighting against fellow believers, you are very likely not conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. You may not fit the spiritual profile. Does that make sense? Good, here we go. Number two, focus on God. So we have a spiritual profile. Paul says, hey, if you're believers, this is what you're going to look like whenever I get there and come and see you. Number two, focus on God. Verse 28 Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. That's big. This will be a sign to this. That you're not intimidated this will be a sign to them that they are going that they are going to be destroyed but you are going to be saved even by who God himself do you see how how big God is in this verse the enemy comes along with the intention of intimidating and causing fear in you however Simply by the fact that believers' confidence, our confidence, is not in this world, and therefore not intimidated. It is proof to the world that the intimidators will be the ones who should be afraid. They're the ones who are going to be destroyed, and believers are going to be saved. It's part of, not to get too deep into this, but it's part of the psychology of a believer, I don't live, I I do not belong to this world. So you can take everything of this world away from me. All of my possessions are in heaven. So you can strip me of everything I have. I still have God. I still have my heavenly home. I still have my salvation. I still have my faith family. There's a bunch of things that have eternal value you cannot take away from me. So you can't intimidate me. And the fact that we, as believers, can live that way proves that we have a God that will save us and condemn those intimidators for all eternity as well. You need to know who your God is, and you need to keep focused on Him. Did you hear what I said? You need to know who your God is, and you need to stay focused on Him rather than all of the smoke and dirt that gets thrown in the air by our enemies that distracts us. we got to focus on God. Oh, but Brent, there's all these things that are happening that we, have, we need to pay attention to and we need to pray for and we need to get all worried about and, and frustrated about. Watch this. Generally speaking, the direction that you look is the direction that you move. Have you ever had that happen? Typically, the direction that your eyes are focused is the direction that you move. Now, it was a lesson that I learned whenever I was about 10 or 11 years old. Uh, farmer in our church, uh, whenever my dad pastored in Dalhart, Texas. Look that up on a map. See if Google can find that. Uh, this farmer he, he takes me out in his tractor I was 10 or 11 years old riding in the cab of the tractor you know eating out of the the, the red and white cooler oh so cool get to drink water out of the windmill all of these important things that happened in my childhood that have nothing to do with my message this morning anyway we're in the we're in the tractor and and he's driving along he's plowing uh he's plowing under the winter wheat field and so you know, dust is going everywhere and, and you know that farmers are very serious about their fields right yes because they drive by another farmer's field and they look and they're like, "What was he drunk when he was plowing? His rows are all crooked and that's no good." I mean, they're like drive by another field, and they're like, "Man, that looks good. It's all straight. It looks nice." A lot of pride in being able to plow a straight line. So he told me, uh, because we're driving along, he says, "Don't watch the plow, right? The plow's behind you. Don't watch the plow because if you watch the plow, you'll end up driving all over Dalhart." Which wouldn't take very long, he says. You look forward and you find a fence post, and you focus on the fence post, and you go straight towards the fence post. Then, whenever you get there, you turn around and you have a straight row. It's like magic, right? I like the, some of you now are just thinking, "Wow, I think I want to plow a field." <laughs> Another time is actually here in town. We were remodeling a building, and uh, there was a retired pastor that was on staff with us, and we were having. And uh, so I'm cutting my sheetrock, you know. So he's watching, and he, he noticed that I was having some, some problems. And so he said, he said, Brent, if you'll focus on the line ahead of where you're cutting instead of focusing on where the blade is cutting, you'll cut straighter. He's an old fart. <laughs> so I'm like, what does he know? And I knew that he I'd done a lot more construction than he had, and so he doesn't know. So, so then I, I start. How can, you, how can you not look where you're cutting and stay on the line? Because what if you go off the line, you won't see it? <laughs> well, I'm cutting like this, you know. I cut the sheetrock, and you know how you snap it? So I'd, I'd cut it and then snap it, and it would break into 12 pieces. It was a nasty mess. So I look ahead of the line, and I cut I wonder if I was done, it was straight. Oh, oh. And then the guys around me are like, oh, Brent, good job. You finally cut one right. Yeah. Generally speaking, the direction you look is the direction you move. Don't focus on the problem, focus on Jesus. It's amazing. You can't focus on problems, physical or spiritual, and expect to become more God-honoring. A more God-honoring child of God. You can't spend all of your time talking about the enemies of your faith and then somehow feel like you've shared the gospel. (laughs) We focus our attention on God. Let Him deal with our enemies just as He has promised that He would. But Brent, what if He doesn't take care of it like I, I would? Trust me, sweetheart, he's not going to take care of it like you would because you'd just mess it up. That frees you and I up to conduct our lives in a manner that is worthy of the good news of Christ Jesus. It's so simple. we got to keep moving along. Uh, Number three, it doesn't free us up to pick at everybody else's lives. It frees us up to serve God better ourselves. You are privileged. Oh, this is a good one. This one would sell. Here we go. Verse 29. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ. Oh, that's good, huh? Amen? Amen. But also the privilege of suffering for him. That's <laughs> not going to sell very well. By God's grace, because of God's grace, you have been given the privilege. The right to become children of God, to trust in Christ Jesus, and to suffer for him. Kind of like winning the lottery, huh? Oh, we're so privileged. (laughs) You know what? If you act like you are not from around here, if you conduct yourself differently than others, there's a good chance that you are going to get singled out and picked on, right? I mean, we call it discrimination now, but it applies to spiritual things as well. If we live differently, if we live as though we are foreigners here, if we actually actually act differently, if we speak differently, if we do things differently, if we have different attitudes, then at some point people's going to look at us and be like, what's wrong with you? Why do you not have Mexican food on Thanksgiving? What is wrong with you? <laughs> right? I mean, that's a joke, but you understand. Why do you go to church on Sunday morning? Why do you, why do you give to the church and to missions? And, and, and why do you talk about Jesus? Whenever, when there's tragedy, why do you pray and trust in God? Why do you seem to always be happy no matter how things in your life are going? If you act differently, you're going to be singled out and treated differently. So there's a really good chance that because of the privilege of being a child of God, you're going to live differently, and you're going to suffer at least to some degree. It's not so bad in America. So yes, faith in Jesus, living as a citizen of heaven, is probably going to earn you some suffering. Keep the big picture in mind. While you may suffer some teasing and possibly some name-calling, those who tease, those who call believers' names, they're going to suffer eternally. God's going to take care of the intimidators. That's what he just told us. He tells us that in, in very specific terms in the book of Revelation. So whenever you're frustrated with somebody, you go and you read Revelation. It's like, God's got this. I don't have to worry about it, right? You are privileged. I'm going to keep going. I'm just going to leave it alone. You have been placed on the winning team before the end of the game. That's good. We've been chosen to be on the winning team. So, as Paul would say, we have something to rejoice about. Something to keep rejoicing about. Right? Okay. Number four. We struggle together. We struggle together. Together. Verse 30. We are in this struggle together, Paul says. You have seen my struggle, because he's in prison, in the past. And now, and you know, pardon me, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. You gotta love Paul. He's in prison in Rome. He's writing to these people in Philippi in the comfort of their homes. Yet Paul says, hey, you guys, we are in this together. No, we're not, Paul. You are in prison and we are free. (laughs) No, we're in this together, buddy. We're doing shit. We are going through this hard time together. We're going through it equally. Listen carefully, church. It makes no difference if you are a new believer struggling with past sins or a mature believer struggling with how not to get fired at work for sharing your faith, we are in this together. It makes no difference whose church children attend when there's a shooting at school. We need to know that believers all across San Juan County are in this struggle together. Yes, this is when we unite and we work together. It makes no difference if you are celebrating or grieving. We struggle with the gospel of Jesus Christ to be shared to our community together. We struggle together to make sure that we all are serving God with all of our hearts. That is what citizens of the kingdom of heaven do. We struggle together. We fight together. We uh, ultimately, God will save us all together. I was with a bunch of pastors from different denominations this week, and so the joke is a little bit, you know, when we all get to heaven, we're going to have to segregate again. <laughs> God's going to save us all, but he's going to compartmentalize us all because there's no way he's going to put all these churches together in one throne room to worship one God. That is ludicrous. Sweetheart, that's exactly what God is up to. All these things that seem important to us when we stand before the throne of God are going to be absolutely insignificant. There's going to be one thing that's very important And that is that we have the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin that gives us eternal life. Everything else is going to be very secondary. We're going to forget about it. We're going to be united because of Christ Jesus. So, church, we are to conduct ourselves as citizens of of the kingdom of heaven worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. We do not criticize or abandon our own. We do not find fault with fellow believers. We encourage them to focus on God. Because if they focus on God, they'll get all of their other stuff right, and then we don't have to fix them. That's great. We are to ignore the enemy and live in the joy of our salvation. Because if we don't ignore our enemy, we'll always be frustrated and never live in joy. Okay? I'm going to pray, and, and I'm going to close as I pray, uh, we, haven't, we haven't taken time for prayer in, in a while. So as I pray, the guys that are on our pastoral leadership team, I'm going to have them come stand at the front, the guys that are available. I know sometimes they get tied up doing other things. But if those guys would come as I pray, um, then uh, if you would like to come and be prayed for with one of the guys, you're more than welcome to. We want to pray with you. Uh, I didn't. Jaden, will you, whenever I say amen, will you play some soft music um, from the computer? Like, come, come play on the keyboard. Uh, we're going to pray, okay? Let's all stand together. And if you want to come be prayed with, you can come, come while, while I'm praying. Father, thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your people. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can go through this life together, and we do not have to bear the weight of this world uh, on our own, but that we do this with the body of Christ. Father, I pray for all of the believers in San Juan County this morning all of those who are feeling the repercussion of the evil that was visited upon Aztec this week, Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith, help us to keep focused on you and to not be distracted by what the enemy would love to intimidate us with. But Father, we keep our eyes fixed on you because you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. Our trust and our hope is in you. Father, I pray for those those who do not know you in San Juan County, who who have been affected by this event, God, turn their hearts toward you. Let our lives shine the testimony of Jesus Christ, of eternal life, of forgiveness of sins, of hope in in our Father to those that do not know you. Lord, I pray that this event will turn hearts toward you, not harden hearts. Lord, we love you. We put our trust and our faith in you. Father, I pray for our congregation, that you would unite our hearts together with one mind, one purpose, that is to live for you in a way that honors you and glorifies you. Father, we pray that you be exalted in all that we do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.